from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Fair podcast. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we're all moving forward as a drinks business during the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm lucky to be talking with Woody and Helena Hambrecht, co-founders of House. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So before we you know, get into the nitty-gritty of the business, how you guys are adapting, I mean, you're a direct-to-consumer, uh, low-alcohol spirit. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about House? For sure. I can, I can kick things off. So we're an alcohol company. Uh, I hear you talk to those pretty often. Yeah. But uh, we, started, we started House to solve a problem that we were seeing, which is everyone we knew <laughs> – were feeling a problem with drinking. They were, they were drinking like we are almost every night for business or friendships or or whatever it might be. And everybody was facing the same existential crisis of like we feel horrible. Like, are we all supposed to keep drinking like this every day for the rest of our lives and survive? Like, why why is this the way that it is? We wanted to create an alcohol company that not just addressed the why does alcohol have to make us feel so horrible? Uh, but also address these bigger questions of why is the alcohol industry the way it is? Like, why is the three-tier system the way to the, that it is? Why is no one making products directly for the consumer? Uh, and long story short, we ended up building a company that kind of set out to rethink everything from the ground up, from product, how it's made, how it's advertised to the customer, how it's distributed, how it's branded. Um, and we ended up with an aperitif company called House. That's really awesome. So, I mean, what do you, I know, are uh, th- a third generation winemaker, correct? Yeah. Yeah. My family has been in the wine business since the early 70s in California. So, was this an idea that you had kicked around before as well? Like, had you played at all with making, I mean, I'd love you to explain to us as well, like what, what the, what the spirit is. Um, but before that, I mean, had you played around with thinking about making lower alcohol uh, wines or things like that before, or was this kind of something that, that you and Helena came to together? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really all starts um, about 10 years ago. I spent a year, a year in Berlin and that's where I was introduced to this aperitif culture. And I loved it. You know, I loved that it was all about flavor. It was all about, um, you know, you could imbibe for hours and you would, you know, you would remember the conversation. You would wake up the next day without a hangover. So I just had this really lovely experience with the category. Um, And then when I moved back to the States, um, I got involved in the wine business. And, yeah, I started tinkering. um, And I really, you know, what I did is I really... uh, I, you know, I, I made some really delicious vermouths, uh, got some really great um, placements, but, uh, you know, it just didn't really get any real tr- traction because mm-hmm. uh, of so many gatekeepers. Um, that's And that's where really Helena came along and said, hey, why don't we do this direct to consumer and take control of the relationship with the customer rather than relying on these kind of third party people? Right. Okay. So I've got so many questions for you guys, but... Uh... First one is obviously you're doing direct to consumer, right? Um, was that because you you really wanted to like what? Where did that idea come from? Because there's been so many brands that have started over the last, I guess, ten years, right? But especially since we've had Vine Pair, the last six or seven, that you know have an answer to something, and almost none of them, I'd say none of them really, have gone direct to consumer. 
So what was it about going direct to consumer that was so interesting to you? Because I think when you talk to a lot of other alcohol companies, like, oh my gosh, there's so many regulations. I can't even handle it. I don't know how to, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm not even going to try. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, Woody and I joke that it took a techie marrying a wine and spirits guy for house to even exist. So Woody's the booze guy. Woody's got all the expertise in the world making gorgeous wine, gorgeous aperitifs. And I'm an internet girl. I've been working in Silicon Valley for the last decade. And so, you know, I was essentially raised in in the industry that brought you direct to consumer for all these other industries, right? The Warby Parkers, the Glossiers. Uh, I was able to watch all of that happening from the sidelines. Right. And, and so when I got together with Woody and was watching Woody, you know, with these beautiful wines and these beautiful vermouths, you know, working with the Cool Kid distributor, getting in all the Cool Kid accounts, you know, he was in some of the best cocktail lists in America with his vermouths. Uh, he, what we saw was he didn't totally have control over how his product ended up in the market. And that's no surprise to any other craft makers that are listening here, right? Like you don't get to go to an account and dictate that you're like the, you know, poured on the rocks is the first thing on the menu. What happens is you end up as a vermouth, as a little sprinkle in a 10 ingredient high proof cocktail. And so it's a huge honor and it's something that you can go brag to your industry friends about. But at the end of the day, Woody wasn't moving that much product and you know, he had no control over the story, how bartenders talked about it. And then ultimately, the drinker had no idea who he was, even though they were drinking his vermouth and some of the best cocktails in America. So me coming in as an outsider and observing this, I was like, wow, this is a really hard industry for an indie maker to have brand equity or to really build a brand that drinkers know about because there's so many middlemen. Totally. And so that was kind of the the traditional industry side of it. And then you know, having experienced this, this drinking problem myself of like, man, everyone I know, including myself is just feeling the effects of alcohol and it feels unsustainable. You know, I, I just want to start doing some research and seeing what's up with alcohol. Like why is everybody, you know, feeling this problem and looking for a different way to drink, but there doesn't seem to be any clear solution. And, you know, I was originally starting to do this research for Woody's aperitifs. Because it's like, well, we know aperitif culture. We know that it's it might even be a solution for what American drinkers are looking for. And and it didn't take long at all to stumble upon all of this, you know, this treasure trove of customer data, Nielsen data, media trends, like everything was talking about how, you know, today's consumer is facing this dilemma around drinking, millennials and Gen Z in particular, where they care so much about their health and their image. And they, they even care about, you know, authenticity, transparency, convenience, all of these tenants that are driving how they purchase other products. And they're not finding that for alcohol. So what you're seeing is, you know, instead of there being some clear option for what they should buy, they're just fumbling around with like dry January or, oh, well, I don't drink on weekdays or, you know, they're experimenting with trying to drink less. And just the more and more we dug, the more we were like, aperitifs might be the thing. Like, it might be the thing. And then as we started researching aperitifs, it was like, oh, wow, okay, this is a fast growing category in America, though it's still really small. But then you look at the Aperol Spritz, which is the fastest growing drink in America at the time. There were all of right. these like, little clues where it was like, what if we, what if we actually made an aperitif company, not for industry, right? Not to impress the, the Southerns of the world, but to impress the drinkers of the world. And, but the missing piece was 
you know, can this be a direct-to-consumer thing? And you wouldn't necessarily know that grape-based aperitifs can go direct-to-consumer unless you're a grape-based aperitif maker like Woody. Yeah. So, so I, so I am very curious about this. This is a question I had. I asked Christina, so she probably prepared you for this. Who's amazing by the way. Um, <laughs> but I was curious about this. And so, and so was Josh, my co-founder at VinePair. And we're, and I'm wondering if it's because of what are your, your experience having made these before. So these are technically vermouths, correct? Correct. But you don't call them vermouths. Is there a reason that do you think that people, millennials and like us and Gen Z just were turned off by? I mean, to me, I've I've been to Spain. I know there's a whole culture there. I loved it there. I'll be honest, when I've come back, I've never bought vermouths here. Um, maybe that's my own fault, but I just I haven't done it. I always thought of my grandmother drinking it. <laughs> and I think what you've done is very smart, which is which is the way that you refer to house. And I think the way you talk about it as an aperitif instead. But I'm curious how you came to that. Like obviously, Helena, you've done a lot of research. You, you know, you you guys really looked at the industry. What was that thought process to realize like, okay, like let's not call these vermouth. These are something else. And these can, you know, be thought of as something else to consumers. Totally. So that was, I mean, the biggest challenge that we anticipated as this company is like, okay, let's take a step back, right? Like what are we selling? What are we actually selling? And to me and Woody, you know, it wasn't about the what, right? It wasn't even about the fact that it was an aperitif because most Americans don't even know what an aperitif is, right? Like they don't drink Aperol spritzes because there's an ap- they're an aperitif. They're drinking them because they're lighter and they're more sessionable and, and they can drink theoretically more of them over the course of a day and it's not going to ruin their life. And so we really wanted to reframe how we're selling and not think about the traditional kind of like, well, what is it? Okay. It's an aperitif. What kind of aperitif? Okay. And all the things that come with that, it was more like, we're selling a, almost like a set of values and functionality more than a category. And so we really wanted to stick our initial messaging to like, we're making this product to make you ultimately feel better about drinking, not just because of the lower alcohol and because of, you know, the, the quality of the ingredients that we use and the type of processing that we do or lack of processing, really. Um, so it'll make you feel better. But but it's more about we're just selling you a type of alcohol that is going to make you feel better about drinking. And so right. we even, you know, a lot of the times when we communicate house, we don't even get to the aperitif part. Um, people end up being sold on just different reasons. One of actually this is um, I don't know if you've ever read um, Simon Sinek's Start With Why. But that had a really big impact on how we ended up positioning house where it's like, imagine if we took the what route, imagine if we launched house and we're like, it's an aperitif company. People would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why do I care? Or, or like, oh, well, I already know what aperitifs are. So why does this matter? And you can only imagine that if we went even more granular and we were like, we're launching a, a great based vermouth company, uh, you right. know, people would just be like, what, <laughs> like, what, how on earth is this? even relevant to the American market. Like people just wouldn't get it. But when we took a step back and we were like, okay, what are we actually doing that's interesting and that's actually solving a problem for people? We need to focus on that because that's why we made house. We didn't make house because we felt like there needed to be yet another aperitif for aperitif drinkers. We wanted to make a company that ultimately was taking market share from the whiskeys and the gins and even the wines of the world. I mean, the irony of, of a winemaker taking market share of wine. Uh, but but it was true, right? We wanted to really sell people on like, no, this is 
this is something that you can drink instead of the thing that you've been drinking forever. And it may actually make your life a lot better. That's amazing. So you guys come to this conclusion. Um, you you start thinking and, and, and concepting what the liquid will taste like. One thing that you do really well that has been really interesting for me to experience. I was having this conversation this morning, actually, uh, with like a, a wine industry veteran that I think wines have never understood. Is you're really amazing with the like the packaging and the delivery and the experience of of the received product. I'm I'm assuming that's from your experience in tech, but it's been, it's blown my mind that so many other wine brands don't get this right. It usually shows up in a very bland brown box in like a spirited shipper mailing with maybe a printed out copy of the tech sheet of the wine, right? You deliver house in a beautiful package with a, you know, gorgeous magazine with awesome photos that you've taken. What made you realize that was going to be so important from the beginning? And do you think, because I want people who are listening to this podcast to, to, you know, think about this as well, that that has really aided you in the customer experience. Totally. I mean, one thing that, that Woody and I, I mean, there are many reasons that Woody and I wanted to marry each other, but we have a lot of, um, you know, the same values and, and even related to brand, you know, when I met Woody, Woody cared so much about, you know, the labels on his bottles and the design and, um, and he was really forward thinking for someone in the traditional industry in terms of packaging and, and so this decision for us to really prioritize the packaging part of the customer experience was something that we aligned on really early. And so I think for me, coming from the comms consumer side, it was very much about like, how do we make something so exceptional that people would naturally feel inclined to share it, you know, what, that they would be excited to, to share receiving this product with their friends or even the internet. And then with Woody, you know, because Woody has cared so much about packaging for so long, Woody had the relationships uh, with some of the best, you know, not just on, on the aesthetic front and the customization front, but also the sustainability front, like Woody just knew these folks and had really great relationships with them. So it was so easy for us. Like it just was a no brainer to us of like, yeah, okay, let's go invest money in that part of the process too. So um, one more business question before we, we let Woody talk and talk more about the liquid. Um, <laughs> so I, I read in the interview you guys did with Shopify that I think you've grown 500%. In the last, it was, is it either year over year or is it, was it since the pandemic? Something, yeah, yeah, something amazing. That was actually the start of Q1 to the end of Q2. That's amazing. So first, congratulations. Second, what do you think is fueling that growth? And how are you finding your audience in a way that other people may not be? Oh, man. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened at once, right? Like we could have never predicted a pandemic, of course. Right. But you know, we made a lot of bets that were non-traditional in the beginning, but we we just believed in a future um, that COVID kind of like magnified and brought to the present really quickly. So, you know, we believed in a future where people would buy alcohol online if they could, right? And we we believed in a future where people would want to engage in a lower key style of drinking that was more of a ritual and more of a treat versus like, let's all get wasted together. And, you know, we, we were just making these bets that COVID ended up just accelerating, you know, so much, not just for us, but for so many categories, right? Like alcohol in general 
is up like crazy. E-commerce in general is up like crazy. So there were all of these trends that kind of hit at the same time. And then ironically, we were hitting a stage in our business where we, so I don't know if you know this, but our first six months as a business, we didn't put a dollar into paid growth. Like we grew super fast our first six months of business, but it was all word of mouth. It was all press. It was all organic. And we did that really intentionally. But by the time, you know, early 21, 2021 came around, we were ready to start experimenting with paid growth. And all of that work that we did on the front end around the organic experience, not just, you know, prioritizing press relationships, prioritizing just the customer experience in general. So they would like take pictures of it or tell all their friends. All of that, we we were able to just put gas on the fire and we were just seeing, you know, we were able to acquire customers through ads for like no money because they'd already heard about us um, either from their friends or from the press. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's that thing that I keep hearing about and it's COVID. So I have nothing else to do. So I'm right. going to try it. And it just kept growing. And so is it most is it coming off of all social? Is it mostly Instagram? Have you guys experimented? I know I promised a liquid question, but now I'm really curious. Are you experimenting with TikTok? Like, what is it? You know, Um, what do you is there one platform better than the other? I know I do. too. I'm really addicted. My wife got me addicted. And it's a it's a problem. (laughs) Literally, Woody and I watch TikTok for an hour before bed, like every night. It's our favorite so do we. day. Oh, I know. So good. Um, no, I mean, we're still in the dabbling phase, right? Okay. We've, we've started with Instagram and Facebook. We've seen tons of efficiencies there. I think part of that is also due to COVID and the the paid market opening up again. So you do have the freedom to experiment and lose less money. And we found efficiencies really quickly. We've experimented a little bit with YouTube and we've seen some success there because man, people just love their their YouTube idols and they'll buy whatever that they love. It's awesome. And and then beyond that, you know, our philosophy is still organic first. Like we never, ever, ever want to be one of those other startups, you know, like there's so many direct-to-consumer companies that got to where they are by pouring millions of dollars into growth that they got from a venture capitalist and they didn't pay really close attention to how efficient that was. They were losing money on every customer and they were hoping that they could just keep raising money until they get acquired one day. Like that era is it seems like it's ending. And it's also a game that Woody and I didn't want to play. Like we always wanted to grow this business the right way, grow it efficiently, like be as close to profitable as possible always. And so for us, it's still always like, you know, let's always put money into paid and see what works and what doesn't. But ultimately we still want to be a company that grows primarily through word of mouth. So that's still how we're growing mostly. Amazing. So Woody, in terms of the liquid, you you put out a, a good amount of variations in COVID. You were doing, uh, you know, different, well, it was different liquids that were reminiscent of, of classic restaurants, which I thought was really smart. Um, what goes into developing each liquid that you develop? Um, and is it the same in terms of wine and that like you only have one harvest a year? Or are you working with also wines that are from, from vintages prior to last year's vintage? Can you kind of go into the process of just making the you know house in the first place and then how you decide what new versions of house you'll create yeah so it really depends on the skew so you know like our first uh our first skew that we released the citrus flower you know that was inspired by uh bianco vermouth so yeah i'm not gonna lie to you i made an amazing 
martini with it. Just saying, I know that it's a lot of spirit, but I I drank it both straight, then with some seltzer water, and then I was like, this is going to make a delicious martini, and it did. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. How how did you make it? What was what were, what were your ratio? So I did a fifty fifty, and I did it with uh some really delicious gin. I used uh just Hendrix, and it was perfect. Beautiful. So I love that. I mean. This isn't answering your question, but one of the things I love about what we're doing right now is that these products are so versatile. Yeah, you know, you can make an awesome martini. You can you can make like an awesome brown based cocktail. You can make a fantastic spritz, a fifty fifty tonic. I mean, it's it's so versatile. That's that is one thing that I honestly wasn't anticipating. Um, But as we create more flavors, more skews, we're we're really seeing that. Totally. Um, But to get back to your question, so. You know, like I said, it really depends on the skew. So with the citrus flower um, and, and the bitter clove, for example, you know, these were these were inspired by sort of old world products. So like um, like I mentioned, the citrus flower is a is a Bianco Vermouth in, in, inspired by um, the bitter clove is basically ingredients that you'd find in an Amaro, but we deconstructed it, made it into something that you could, you know, far less viscous and sweet and not hyper bitter either, much more palatable. Um, so, so that, those two skews inspired by old world, but then, you know, you mentioned the restaurant project that we did during um, sort of uh, during COVID, you know, that was literally having conversations with chefs, talking to them about what flavor profiles inspire them uh, or what flavors are common on their menus, um, and then creating a aperitif around that. Um, you know, so it really, really depends. And all the while, while we're doing this, we're really trying to think of, um, you know, it's not only the end product, not the end flavor, but also like what ingredients are we going to use to go into this? So from the beginning, you know, even our wine base is a, is a incredibly high quality product. Um, the botanicals we're using, you know, we're sourcing these either from our own farm, you know, we planted our own Meyer lemon orchard. We, so we have 70 trees that we planted. We grow some of our own botanicals, uh, all organically. And then the stuff that we're not growing, you know, we're buying from, uh, from people that, you know, you have direct relationships with farms and, you know, are, have, you know, they share the same values as, as we do. So, um, yeah, it's it's all very thoughtful. Um, in terms of our our wine base, um, yeah, it, it it really depends on the skew. You know, like we're working on um, some R and D right now on uh, potentially some red wine based aperitifs. Um, you know, we're we're going to look at that differently than you know what our other aperitifs based are. You know, with a, a Chardonnay um, profile. So um, vintage isn't important in the fact like this year 2020 you've seen huge fires you know we're not going to use a a a chardonnay from this year because it's going to have smoke taint but you know if we can go back to 2019 2018 even um you know if if the base profile kind of meets what we're looking for which is generally um you know nice fruit nice balance uh, some acidity sense of minerality you know basic fundamentals that we can build off of and then in terms of like the, the, so, you know, the, the tiki profile that you've just created, is that because you're both lovers of tiki? Is that because you sort of, you, you saw that need there where it's kind of filling the gap and looking at the trend of tiki, you know, really exploding. I mean, for us, 
we did the great drinks experience this year, this, this online drinks festival and our Tiki session was one of the most highly attended of all of them. So, I mean, I think everyone cool. knows Tiki's kind of becoming a huge thing. Um, where did that come from? Or is it just like whatever you guys are into right now? So actually where that flavor came from, um, it was for, it was for mother's day. Uh, I made that for Helena, um, because she loves Tiki drinks. Uh, she loves, you know, these sort of tropical flavors. And so I made it for her as just a, you know, happy mother's day. Here you go. And, uh, the team happened to be there when I, when I, presented it to her and everybody loved it. And we thought, wow, you know, if we like this, we think the rest of the world's going to like it too. And so one thing led to cool. another and that turned into one of our primary SKUs. And we've had, it, it's just launched, it, you know, we, it's a relatively new SKU for us and it's just, um, people are loving it. It's really exciting. Yeah, it was very tasty. So obviously, you know, we're talking a little bit about, about business. You guys are, are one of the very few direct to consumer companies out there. Where do you see the the business going? Where do you see it evolving? I mean, obviously, we know a few months ago uh, Gary V sold his direct to consumer wine company. You know, is is that things that you've thought about at this point? Um, where would you? Where do you think House will be in the next you know two and a half or three years? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people you know, think that we chose direct to consumer just because it's, it's like a cool thing to do, uh, to say the word direct to consumer, but for <laughs> us, you know, we ultimately like, we want to grow house to be as big as, as Aperol and Campari. And ideally we'd like to be competitive to Campari USA or even a Diageo one day. But something that we knew from the start is, you know, the way that you build a national or international brand, you really traditionally need corporate buy-in, right? Like you need that investment from a Diageo or a Pernod and you need that leverage to work with a Southern or a Young's and, and you have to go play that game and you need leverage to play the game. And so for us, it was like, okay, we're choosing not to play that game. Like we're choosing not to go, you know, to distill ventures and, and work our way in that way. We're going independent. So what is our leverage going to be? And that's where you know, our big bet was by going direct to consumer and just simply making products for the drinker, right? And and being able to have that back and forth and being like, what do you guys even want, customers? Like, go to our community and be like, what flavors are you hoping that we make? Or what would you like to see us do differently? Like having that dialogue, continuing to build a brand with a drinker, eventually we were hoping would give us enough of a customer base where we would have leverage with wholesale, right? Like you can't, uh, you know, you can't turn your head away from the fact that we could go to an account and say, Hey, you know, we have data that, you know, we have, we have a heat map of customers and we know that, you know, your bottle shop, we have 10,000 customers in your neighborhood, right? Like we are, we're able to go and have those conversations. And, you know, even the fact that we've, you know, gotten the press that we have, that we've grown as much as we've had, we have accounts and distributors coming to us and so that was this kind of moment of like, wow, okay, that hypothesis worked, right? Like ultimately the the burden of the traditional distributor or seller is is to have to sell our product and to make it a thing. And so we've taken that work away from them and we're like, hey, we made it a thing. And so you don't have to have that burden. If you just want to be a clearinghouse for us, that's cool. And so that's made our, our you know, initial wholesale conversation so much easier where, you know, it wouldn't have been that way if we hadn't have chosen to go direct first. So ultimately, the plan is to be everywhere that the customer is buying alcohol, but 
going direct really gave us that leverage to to build something that drinkers really want. And then ideally they can go and buy us from Whole Foods or they can buy us from Target if they happen to be there or they can keep buying us online if they want. Yep, makes total sense. I, and again, I think it's super smart. Um, well, Woody and Helena, this has been a really interesting conversation. I, I really appreciate you both taking the time. Also, we'd be remiss if, if I didn't ask you, are you, I hope you're both doing okay uh, in the wake of the fires. Yes, thank you. It got to our property, but our house didn't burn down, so we are feeling really lucky. Amazing, yeah. yeah that that's that's great to hear, and I hope that those that are you're close to uh, in wine country are doing well as well. Obviously, the smoke tape is definitely going to be an issue this year, which really sucks. Uh, on top yeah, of everything, that's a whole else. other conversation. <laughs> on top of everything else, um, but yeah, thank you both so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.